live from the Lube Go Studios, it's Sports Talk. Here's Steve Kaplowitz and Adrian Broaddus. Happy Monday, everybody, and uh, welcome back as we get started for a new week uh, here on Sports Talk along with... Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz, coming your way from the 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios on a Monday afternoon. And want to remind you, speaking of uh, Lubingo, folks, that um, you know now, starting, uh, I guess, last Monday, their hours of operation have changed. Uh, they are now open Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. They continue to be closed on Sunday. However, Lubingo recently introduced a drive-through maintenance option if you prefer to stay in your vehicle for service. And on behalf of everybody at the Lubingo family, they want to remind you to be well, be safe, and uh, they are classified as essential and critical workers in the transportation and logistics sector. That's Lubingo here in El Paso. All right, uh, so much to get to on the show today. In fact... Um, We've got guests lined up for us, including uh, Sam Smith. Now, one of the all-time great books that some of you listening probably read, at least uh, over the years, was The Jordan Rules. In fact, The Jordan Rules came out for the first time in 1992, and at the time... It was the inside look at the Bulls' 1991 championship season. The fact that the Jordan Rules is almost 30 years old is, is a mind blower for me because I read it when it came out. I've interviewed Sam Smith over the years, and uh, Sam has always been um, one of the one of the good ones, folks, that uh, we've had a chance to talk to on the program. So as you might imagine, uh, he has a new book out, and it's called There Is No Next – NBA legends on the legacy of Michael Jordan. Now, we've talked about this subject so many times over the years, comparing LeBron, Kobe, uh, all the greats to Michael. And I love the fact that the book There Is No Next came out because it it kind of takes the Jordan legacy to um, another level. And, uh, you know, we when we talk about it locally, it's one thing. But considering Sam Smith wrote about it um, years ago with the Jordan rules and now he has there is no next uh, on, you know, his latest uh, list of accomplishments. uh, I'm excited about that. And it's a good one because essentially you get all these NBA greats talking about Michael and the legacy. So these are all the men who played with him and against him, coached him, and and just witnessed him. Uh, Interviews will include, in the book, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Phil Jackson, Reggie Miller, Isaiah Thomas, Reggie Theus, Chris Mullen, Doug Collins, Dominique Wilkins, Steve Kerr, John Paxson, and and it just goes on and on. Greg Popovich is part of that list. Um, Grand Hill. Um, so many more. So we'll get a chance to talk to Sam about this book. Um, There is no next here on the program coming up in about 15 minutes. However, local news making headlines yesterday. Dion Stroud became the fourth UTEP basketball player to go into the transfer portal. And and I don't even know if it's been official yet. I mean, he pretty much issued a a, a tweet and, and an Instagram post about it. Um, I don't know about you, but um, Adrian, have you seen his name officially in the portal or has that not happened yet? According to verbal commits, it's in the portal right now. Yes. Okay, so he is one of the 556 Division One players currently in the portal. Yeah, that's right, and yeah, it it, can't, it comes as a surprise to some people here in El Paso, but it's a it's a player right now that was set up for a lot in the future, Steve. A, a guy that everybody on this team, including the coaching staff, some of the key players, called the you know the next guy on UTEP uh, down the line. I'm not talking about next fall or maybe even next season after this one, uh, you know, upcoming, but maybe three, two or three years down the line. You're talking about Dion Stroud as one of the faces of UTEP basketball, and he's now going to be leaving 
No, that's true. And um, it's it's tough. Although when I wrote the piece this morning about UTEP basketball, one of the things I mentioned is that if you combine the numbers of the four players that have left the program since the season came to an end with that loss against Marshall in the tournament, the four players average a combined 16.4 points, 12 rebounds and five assists per game. If you add up Bryson Williams and Sule Boom, just those two, you get 30.7 points, 10.8 rebounds, and three assists per game. So nearly double the points, nearly identical in the rebounding margin, and a couple of less assists per game, which tells you this, that the nucleus of those two guys, they, they, they were able to keep them. And I've already been told that Bryson Sting, and Sule will be still sticking around. So the miners have figured out that you know what? Yeah, it's it, it's never good when you you know the young guys go into the portal and, and you lose them. But if the really you look at this team right now, the two most important guys heading into the 2020-21 season uh, are still here in Bryson Williams and also um, Sule Boom. So now they got to go out and get themselves a point guard. And they could also use probably a, a you know a post that can score a little bit because Titus Verhoeven is not an offensive threat; he's a defensive threat. And it looks right now like Effie Odigi, even though there are rumors that he's going into the portal as of today, he's still here. Yet Effie, uh, his role is not the same as it was as a freshman. So um, they they do need to go out and get some players. They still have six scholarships open, and hopefully, Adrian, they'll figure out a way to uh, bring in enough impact players to support those two and give them a nice little you know, seven, eight-man rotation next year that'll have a chance to win some games. Yeah, this is going to be a very interesting summer, not just for UTEP, but for a lot of college basketball programs, just because that one-time eligibility rule is still on the table, where hey, a player essentially could transfer one time and be eligible right away at another university, um, you know, without having to sit out a season like we've had to see a lot of UTEP players do in the past. And now UTEP will have to find new guys to fill that foundation that has kind of been broken right now with four guys entering the transfer portal you're talking about some of the guys who would have been your guys off the bench and who knows maybe like you were saying Steve maybe more guys enter the transfer portal but bottom line for UTEP is they will need to capitalize on the graduate transfer market and the college basketball market and the junior college transfer market so we'll have to see how this offseason goes for coach Rodney Terry and his staff no doubt about it no doubt about it so that is something we can talk about throughout the program today. By the way, Pat Knight's going to join us at the top of our 5 o'clock hour to talk about his dad and his relationship between uh, Bobby Knight and Don Haskins. So that conversation will be about an hour away. Also, um, we came out today with the list of 64. And thanks to Zutsuchuko on Twitter, I realized that there was one omission. I knew there was going to be at least one, but there was one omission that um, was on my original 64. I don't know how he didn't make it into the bracket competition, but he didn't. So we are adjusting one region, one bracket, because the truth is, is that uh, Jim Forbes deserved to be in that mix. So uh, my apologies, but we will get that fixed soon. Adrian's working on that. We had to make a little adjustment on the on one of the brackets. So one of our players will be bumped out, but um, that is the only one I, I know of. Now, it's already um, getting feedback. Like RJ Spradley on Twitter. Kent Lockhart as a 10 seed, the guy who single-handedly beat up BYU starting five, deserves better. This is going to happen for just about everybody on this list. Because chances are, if you look at the 64, there are going to be players that you feel are too high or too low. I get that. I completely understand. Again, this project could have taken months, if not years. It took a day. So realize that there are going to be some names that are going to bother you, players omitted, players that are uh, too low, too high. It's just what it's all about. Adrian, we are starting the voting on Twitter tomorrow, and fans will be able to go uh, and vote on 
eight matchups per day as we get people through the first week uh, of the uh, first round matchups. Yeah, I'm so excited for this, Steve. I'm very excited to see what direction people decide to vote. And if we learned anything from last week's UTEP men's basketball all-time team uh, votes, we might find that those two those guys from the 2000s through 2010s might get a lot of love, and those guys from the 80s might get a lot of love. So I'm very interested to see how the voting process will be among fans and listeners, and they'll be a lot of opportunities for everybody to be involved with this it'll be a lot of fun no doubt about it now you dropped the bracket earlier today and i believe it's the bear bracket that we're going to adjust a little bit correct yes that's right and online it's already been adjusted on 600 espn el paso.com so now we just gotta post it on twitter Fair enough. You'll get a chance to see the revised uh, bear bracket as part of this, but it's going to be fun. You're going to get a chance to vote, and we're going to go from there. And everybody already has their favorites, and people think of who they think should should be uh, in the final four, and and eventually to the national to the greatest player of all time. I am just so interested in the fact that. Will Jim Barnes become the greatest basketball player of all time? Will it be Bobby Joe Hill? Will it be Tim Hardaway? Will it be Nate Archibald? Will it be anybody else out there? I mean, who knows? Um, those are just, you know, we're talking about some of the one seeds, the two seeds, the three seeds. Um, if you look at our one seeds today, just our number ones, you've got Nate Archibald, you've got David Latin, you've got Jim Barnes, you have Tim Hardaway. Our two seeds, for those of you wanting to know, we have Randy Culpepper, Stefan Jackson, Antoine Gillespie, Brandon Wolfram. Three seeds. You have Lester Goodwin. You have Marlon Maxey. You have Omar Thomas. And you have Bobby Joe Hill. There you go. Ones, twos, and threes. And then everybody else all the way down. And telling you, the hardest part with this list is when you start looking at their bodies of work, seeding them. It's, a, it's tough, folks. It's not easy. But you'll be able to start voting. What time are we going to start the online uh, polls? At 9 o'clock tomorrow morning? Yes, that's right. And we'll have that all ready to go, and so everybody can be uh, out there and ready to vote. Vote, please. Whatever you do, vote. Because I want to make sure that, if anything, our um, UTEP 64 bracket gets plenty of voting love that we need to do so that'll be uh, something to, to look forward to and you can check it out right now 600 espianopaso.com the list is on and it really excited to have people go out there and, and vote their way through it should be it should be great you know what's interesting too adrian was that in the 50s 60s and early 70s players were only allowed to play three years. And then not until later in the 70s did they have the four-year rule in existence where freshmen were able to play. Because for the, for so long, you were only able to get three great years, and that was it. And now, uh, you know, you look at that, and people don't remember the days when freshmen weren't allowed to play. Yeah, and also uh, other really cool and funny statistical categories that are omitted. You know, I mean, they didn't really count assists or three-pointers in the 50s, 60s, 70s at that point. And then, you know, it's just kind of funny to see all the different statistics and how they've aged over time. I mean, I'm just putting Jim Forbes' stats in, and he only has three years of uh, worth of basketball played at UTEP. So it's just really interesting to see all the different scenarios with all the different players. No doubt about it. So, again, excited about the poll. We're going to talk about it throughout the course of the show today. We can also take your phone calls uh, during the program at 880-5763. But up next, author Sam Smith, best known for the Jordan Rules, has a new book out called There Is No Next, NBA Legends on the Legacy of Michael Jordan. We'll have Sam live right after Charlie One, who gets us started with our first traffic update of our Monday commute. Charlie, uh, how are we doing this afternoon? 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue right now. And I've told you we've got uh, some incredible guests uh, lined up on the program, and uh, this one is no different. He writes for Bulls.com and uh, wrote for years with the Chicago Tribune. Uh, The classic book, The Jordan Rules, was uh, his most known book, but he's also had Second Coming, uh, Hard Labor, and There Is No Next, which talks all about the legacy of the great Michael Jordan. Happy to have Basketball Hall of Famer Sam Smith with us on the program right now. 
Sam, welcome back to El Paso, and uh, I hope uh, you're safe, you're well, and appreciate the time and having you join us today. Yeah, thanks. Doing well, and uh, uh, glad to speak with you again. No doubt. Um, you know, we've had so much debate over the years on the legacy of Michael Jordan and, and where he stands amongst the greatest that the game has ever seen. And, and I'm wondering, you know, the book we're going to talk about now, There Is No Next, is a book that originally came out in October of 2014. But when everybody looks now at the legacy of Kobe Bryant and what LeBron is still doing with the Lakers, do you believe that there will be any difference of opinion in Jordan's legacy compared to the book being published in late 14 to where we currently are at now and where we're going to be at 5, 10, and 25 years from now? There's always, there's always going to be... Um... I mean, actually, it's interesting. I remember in uh, 1993 when Jordan, um, you know, did his first retirement. Uh, you know, we were asking uh, Kevin McHale was around, and obviously played with Bird and you know, the great Celtics teams of the 80s. And he, he, he was exaggerating, of course, but he said, you know, five years from now, nobody will remember Michael Jordan. And, you know, exaggerate. But his point is there's always somebody comes along. Um Russell and Wilt, and then Kareem and Bird and Magic, you know Michael, and you know now like you point out, and Kobe Bryant and LeBron still doing you know fabulous things has a chance of assuming they resume the season, a chance to re, uh, win the title. Uh, I, I believe is it, it will is going to stay around long enough to pass Kareem's all-time scoring record. Probably end up playing with his son, which is unprecedented. Uh, but I, I think, it, it, and the publisher, Diversion, I think they, you know, re-released or did an update or something um, mm-hmm. on the book. But I, I think it's it's timeless, and, and why I titled it like I did. There is no next um, because of the circuit. It, it can always be somebody who comes along who does more statistically, uh, yeah, or. Um, he scores more or dunks better or all those things. And and part of it was the timing, but, you know, Jordan had such a tremendous impact in society that trans, uh, uh, transcended basketball. And, and, and that's the reason I don't think you can make the case with Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or whoever else comes along. You know, the notion in 19... Um, um, whenever it was, 80-something, when uh, uh, Nike came out with sneakers for, I think it was 75 or or $100, and we said, you know, nuts, who's going to pay $100 for sneakers just because a, a ball player's name is on it? You know, and, of course, that's become fashion, um, the long shorts, uh, men wearing earrings, a shaved head, you know, all these things attributed back, uh, you know, to Michael Jordan. And uh, not only that, you know, the racial aspect, the black man being, you know, so popular and beloved in society. Uh, so I, I really, I think Jordan really, and, 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 you know, Reggie Miller made that point in the, you know, the book is, is kind of, it's unique in a sense. It's more a combination narrative and uh, oral history. And I spoke to a lot of the players I've known well over the years, Reggie Miller being one, and he made a great point. He, he said, you know, if there's a Mount Rushmore in 20th century sports, uh, and not just basketball, it, it's Babe Ruth, it's, it's Muhammad Ali, Jackie Robinson, and Michael Jordan. You know, yeah. because of the impact they had in society. It just wasn't about people who didn't know anything about basketball, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't know, uh, you know, a back pick from a back door uh, from your backache, knew Michael Jordan and wanted to see Michael Jordan. And and that that special element of Michael that transcended the game. Not that LeBron is a fabulous figure, but he doesn't he doesn't draw the outside people to the game like Michael Jordan did. Nationally, David Stern always 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 talked about when they traveled and they were starting the uh, NBA uh, overseas. And, and the NBA has always been uh, the, the most creative league. And 
And he said, in China, they didn't know anything about the NBA. He said, all they knew was the Red Oxen, which is the Bulls and Michael Jordan. <laughs> they didn't know anybody else. They didn't even know anyone else in the NBA. They knew Michael Jordan. Sam Smith with us uh, here on Sports Talk. Now, you wrote the Jordan rules originally. Then you came up with Second Coming, which was about Jordan's return to the NBA in 1995. Did it always seem to you like a trilogy was, was, was destiny for you because those other two books uh, had chronicled different parts of his career, and then you kind of just wanted to put it all into perspective with that third book? I, I'd like to say, yeah, I, I thought that far ahead, but not even close. I, I was uh, I was going to be like one of those uh, '60s uh, one-hit wonder. Not that I expected to be a hit or anything. I was I was pretty shocked when it did to become uh, as as well, controversial at the time and infamous and famous and successful. Um, but it almost started out as as a lark. I, I was I was uh, the beat writer for the Chicago Tribune for many years with the Bulls, and I'd been traveling with the team, and um, just wanted to try my hand at writing a diary. I was influenced. Always, my favorite sports book had been David Halberstam's uh, Breaks of the Game uh, about the Portland Trailblazers in the late '70s, a great basketball book. And and so I sort of just wanted to try my hand and see if I could write something like that in a sort of a diary form, and. Um, you know, when Michael when Michael retired in '93, I, I remember asking him many times. Uh, now, are you going to come back? And you know, this is just temper. No, no, I'm never coming back. You're never going to. And I mean, you're always allowed to change his, your mind, as Michael told me many times. And uh, with the dream team in '91 and that coming into '92 and the two championships, he wasn't going to do that. Said he he played in enough. So. Yeah, everybody changes their mind. It's okay. But when he left in 93, um, he, was, he was certain, and the Bulls were certain, you know, because they had gone out and, and they, they had made the biggest free agent acquisition in the history of the franchise to get a shooting guard, uh, Ron Harper. So uh, they were pretty convinced he wasn't coming back. So I really didn't expect to write volume two. And then, you know, as time went on, uh, actually, actually what inspired the book and the title was Kevin Durant around that time was having this run of uh, 25 or 30 point games. And every night on uh, the ESPN sports center that they'd have a, they start off the show with Kevin, Kevin Durant's got 25 again, or I think it was 25 or 30. This is like the 15th consecutive game. And then uh, it's an NBA record a consecutive 20 point. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I saw Jordan's game. He scored 25. Every, he scored 35 every game. <laughs> so how could this be a record? So sort of from that point, uh, 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 he had been retired several years, and I thought it would be a good opportunity. Uh, and that's the other thing, too. And, and I expect people to have another favorite, to have Kobe as their favorite or LeBron, because there's a whole generation of fans who never saw Jordan play. You know, you know the history, you know the record, but you know, maybe you're favorite president is not George Washington because you, you, you weren't around then. So maybe it's, uh, you know, somebody who you were around for, Barack Obama or George Bush or whomever it might be, uh, Donald Trump. So, um, uh, you know, things changed, but I think, you know, uh, as far as, you know, that went, it, w- it wasn't like Homer and, and I was going to com- complete the historic trilogy. It was like, hey, you know, let me take you back and tell you a little bit about this guy and why there's never going to be anybody who's going to have more impact in the world than this guy. You can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Smith Hoops. Uh, he's joining us live on our Village and Hotline as we continue. More with Sam and more about Jordan's legacy and what you think uh, he means just to the overall scope of the game right after we say hello to Adrian and get a bottom of the hour Sports Center update. 600 ESPN El Paso. If you like oral histories, you're going to like There Is No Next from Sam Smith, who's joining us on the program. You know, Sam, one of my favorite uh, basketball uh, oral histories was Loose Balls, the ABA book with Terry Pluto, which I thought was just a very enjoyable read at the time and loved learning about the, you know, what the ABA was like from some of the uh, original guys that played in it when Terry captured that uh, back years ago. And you're telling yeah, the you're story right. of Jordan. It's, a wonderful, it's really the only book ever written on the ABA. I was a big fan of the ABA. Uh, 
went to a, I lived in New York then where I'm from. Used to go to games on Long Island in New Jersey. The Nets just bounced around everywhere, and uh, yeah, so it's a it's a great story, and I uh, recommend it highly. And you tell Jordan's career through the uh, the voice of so many different people in this oral history, which which really makes it a lot of fun because you hear the the name of the title, there is no next, and you're wondering, well, is it just the greats being interviewed and talking about Jordan? But instead, you pretty much tell the story of, of his body of work through uh, the you know the voices of so many of the different people that he came uh, in contact with. Was it easy getting everybody on board? For this project, or were some people tougher than others? Um, what I did, and uh, I've been fortunate um, to be around the NBA quite a while, um, and especially in the era in the in the late seventies and early eighties when I, I sort of started, um, the access was so much uh, better. The NBA was struggling in the early eighties. That's um, that's what led to the salary cap in eighty three. Uh, and the players sort of partnered up with the league. Um, uh, you, you know, you always heard the thing about the you know Magic and, and the finals game on tape delay and all that. And so there was sort of an agreement that we got to work together to save the league. And and the players couldn't be more accommodating. You got to you got to know the players well. And so as a result, you know, I got to know a lot of those players well. Not all of them. You know, some were harder, uh, like Kareem. You know, it was very <laughs> difficult to deal with for everybody. Um, but the ones I did get to know well, and there was a lot of like Bird and Magic and Isaiah Thomas and uh, different executives over the years. Um, uh, so what I did was I went around to them because I know them well. And, uh, you know, I presume they, you know, I felt they'd be more comfortable with me and, you know, being a less formal interview session. So it's also you know, something I look forward to doing sort of, a, you know, gave me an excuse to go back and spend time with a lot of these guys, uh, legendary figures of the game, and then people I knew well. So, uh, you know, they, it, 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 sometimes it's, you know, difficult tracking down people, but it really wasn't. I mean, it, uh, um, because I'd known them, I sort of had a head start. And there, and there were others outside. A, a good friend of mine, uh, David Axelrod, uh, it was an advisor to President Obama, and uh, so he arranged that interview with President Obama, who I, who I didn't know well, but um, he had been in Chicago for all those years and had been a big Jordan fan and uh, gotten to know Jordan well. So I, I, wanted to, I wanted to expand it to not just, well, part of it, the, the players, uh, the competitors who knew him best, but also, you know, the executives, the coaches, you know, some fans, their view and then put it in the time frame of when they saw him, uh, what the impact was. I remember Greg Popovich uh, talking about uh, he was an assistant uh, on the Spurs or Warriors bench then. I remember, which is, I think it was the Spurs bench, and he was just starting out, and, and he said he was so mesmerized by just watching Jordan from some uh, that close. You know, he had difficulty concentrating on what he was supposed to be doing. And then uh, Jordan at one point stopped and just trash talked because he saw he saw him staring at him so much as he was. Um, so so it's a great fun project for me, but it also gave uh, it gave a lot of those um, figures and legendary figures of the game an opportunity to express themselves. It was pretty unanimous. You know, he, he had a long rivalry with Isaiah Thomas, obviously, in the Pistons, and I talked to Isaiah and. Joe Dumars, the Mun Pistons guys, uh, and, and they, even though it was probably one of the most bitter rivalries in NBA history, maybe matching the Lakers and the Celtics in the early years, uh, and probably the last great rivalry we had with the rules changes and all the flagrant fouls and everything, which didn't much exist, you know, back then with the Pistons and the Bulls, and so there was tremendous bitterness, you know, leading up to uh, the Pistons walking off the court in 91 and Isaiah off the Dream Team in 92. Um, but there was still great respect. You know, they, they Isaiah particularly appreciated what Jordan was able to do and how he was able to beat them. And they, they were a truly great team that doesn't get the respect it deserves sometimes because of the bad boy image and some of the, uh, things they did, and um, had they been in this era, I'm sure several of their players would have been uh, uh, 
would have would have been arrested and uh, <laughs> in prison for some time, <laughs> but it didn't exist that way then. Um, but the players were very much appreciative of the opportunity to talk about greatness. You know, they they however even denied like Joe Barkley or Ewing, other guys I knew denied championships. Carl Malone, particularly, I talked to also as well, and and. They were great players who were champions. They just didn't get, didn't get championships because they happened to be playing in the wrong decade with the guy you couldn't beat. Sam Smith uh, joining us here on Sports Talk as we continue. The author of The Jordan Rules, Second Coming, and then There Is No Next, which you can find on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and wherever books are sold. Uh, one final question before we wrap things up. Uh, Jordan Rules will no doubt be your most famous book and probably what everybody um, you know knows you outside of the Chicago area for if they didn't follow your career at the Trib. Yet, um, of the three Jordan books you wrote, would you say There Is No Next is your favorite because you took his entire body of work with so many players being a part of the book? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think you're right about it. I do feel, yeah, Jordan Rules is known because it was bestseller. It was very controversial at the time um, and and got well known. Um, but this book was an opportunity to flesh out his entire career. Um, you know, which in those books were sort of, you know, a point in time when Jordan Rules is about the 91 season of the diary and the second coming was about that period when he came back in 95 playing baseball and then, you know, getting back into the NBA and that, you know, uh, run they had, in, which only went two rounds in the playoff. And this was a chance to look back uh, on, on the, not only on his history, but you know the history of the uh, the franchise, what he meant to it, what he meant to the league, and and try to put some of these uh, things in perspective. Uh, re- really, like I said, o- over over the period of what he represented uh, to America and the world, really, and you know to have the opportunity to write about somebody like that is rare. That um, somebody has that kind of influence, and, and during his time, and probably during the comeback and the. The late his third championship run with Rodman and that group, he may have been. He probably was the most famous person in the world, uh, if you could believe it. Because you know there was it, he, he was a beloved figure uh, from all sides. Uh, you know there was no divisions about Michael Jordan. Even 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 the people he was beating respected, and and uh, you know Jerry Sloan in those years with the Jazz couldn't have said more positive things about Jordan. So it. It really was a, a magical time uh, with a magical person, and you know, gave me an opportunity and 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 give, gives people in this era because it's in the voices of the people who knew him best and competed against him the most to really get a sense. And I, I was one thing I was most ple- uh, pleased about was Phil Jackson. You know, he used to give out books on his trips, and when he when he was GM of the Knicks. Uh, he chose that book to give out to his players when they were going on one of those long Western road trips and said, if you want to know about Michael Jordan, um, this is the book to read. So uh, that was probably the best review I got. That's terrific. This book is called There Is No Next, NBA Legends on the Legacy of Michael Jordan. It's from Sam Smith, who you can follow on Twitter at Sam Smith Hoops. Hey, we really appreciate the time, Sam. Thanks for carving it out for us today. Always love talking about Michael and his legacy. And uh, again, thanks for, uh, for giving us so much time. Yeah, good to talk to you. Take care. You too. From Sam Smith over to ABC7 News, that's next with Stephanie Valle. Then we're going to come back. Plenty more coming up as Sports Talk continues right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. 600 ESPN El Paso. Don't forget, uh, coming up, the Don Haskins hour, a little bit later, to begin our 6 o'clock hour. And uh, we are going to take you to September 19th, 2006, when we were able to get the great Bobby Knight on the phone with Don Haskins. And those two gave us um, a classic 
uh, conversation. Matter of fact, it was uh, it was just unbelievable. And uh, here to join us for the next few minutes and talk about the relationship between these two is Coach Pat Knight, who now works for the Indiana Pacers as a scout, and our old pal Ryan Carr, former UTEP assistant coach. And uh, first off, Pat, we appreciate the time, and thanks uh, for giving us uh, a few minutes to talk about two of our favorite people in the world, uh, your dad and uh, and the bear, Don Haskins. Oh, no problem. I enjoy enjoy doing it. Tell me, um, for you, I, I guess just growing up in in the family with your dad as coach and and all those years in Indiana, the first time you really um, had the opportunity to to meet uh, the bear for the first oper- first time. You know, I, I really don't remember the the first time because our house was like uh, we had a, a big ass finished basement and. My dad actually bought the house from Doc Councilman, uh, the great swim coach at IU. And no one knew this, but we actually had an apartment in the bottom of our, in the back of our finished basement that Mark Spitz built for himself when he was training for the Olympics. And so we had all these coaches. I mean, I've got it. I can't, I mean, ever since I could walk, come in, spend two or three days in Bloomington and, and stay down that apartment. And I just remember every morning I'd wake up and I'd be having breakfast with, you know, Coach Haskins, Al McGuire, uh, you name it. There'd be guys, you know, Jerry Myers who hired us at Texas Tech. I mean, I'd, I'd wake up and, you know, I'm a little kid and there'd be some old, old coach there having breakfast with me. And so it had to be when I was really young uh, as a kid uh, when he'd come out to Bloomington to visit my dad. But I just don't know the specific date. But as I got older, though, you know, and can understand the stories, um, you know, you kind of started realizing how special the relationship was. Well, no doubt. And, uh, you know, they talked a lot in the conversation we're going to play next hour about hunting and fishing. That was that was the thing. And and it was funny because they told one specific story, I guess, that happened years earlier. And I had never heard your dad laugh so hard in, in, in an interview. And as he was just remembering this particular incident about what happened with, with Coach Askins, he starts giggling like a little kid. And I thought it was just it was priceless stuff because we're getting we're getting a side that you just heart you know you probably are around it a lot more than us but we never got to see that side and you could just see and tell just on the phone the kind of relationship that that they had with each other no those two guys were ornery you know i totally realized it but you know they're like brothers and you know my dad still can remember stories of them just going you know my dad never drink and so he still be to the bars with all those guys and so He's got great stories of he and, he and the bear going to these bars, and, and the bear would play uh, a couple games of pool, uh, lose on purpose, and he'd come over, wink at my dad, and uh, tell him he's going to take them for all they got. And my dad would just watch. I mean, it was like a, it was like a scene from a movie. These stories they'd go to these old bars, and Coach Haskins would uh, win money on the pool table. And my dad just be his sidekick, and you know they did a lot of hunting and fishing together, and. Norm Ellenberger was a big part of that group uh, with the three of those guys. But he's probably, you know, as I got older, it's probably these guys my dad was probably closest to. And, and it wasn't just for their love of hunting and fishing and just having a good time. You know, their, their temperaments were pretty much the same. Uh, they enjoyed a lot of the same things. And so they, they pretty much were like two peas in a pod. I'll tell you what is really interesting, too. Um, During the conversation, Don Haskins calls your dad the best of all time, which really, you know, high praise given uh, the circumstances. They're both in the Hall of Fame and, you know, the 66 team we all know here. But you could just see not only uh, how much respect that, that Bobby had for Don, but vice versa. And I thought that was the conversation was actually during his last couple of years at Texas Tech. And one of the things that Bobby Knight mentioned to coach was, he had a greater respect for uh, for Coach Haskins having to recruit and co- as a coach in Texas. That until you do it, 
and you did it as well, Pat, you don't realize how tough it is to go out and, and bring players to Lubbock or bring players to El Paso to play basketball. And it gave them an all, you know, just a totally different sense of, of, uh, of respect for each other. It was amazing. No, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, you're trying to get spoiled. We always say coaching at a state school, and like we did in Indiana, and everybody grows up wanting to go there. And now you go to, you know, it's a basketball state, so, you know, recruiting's never easy, but it's a lot easier at those places. And then when we get to Tech, your eyes are kind of uh, wide open because it's not the same. You know, it's not the state school. Texas is not a basketball state. You know, it's a football state. And so, yeah, my dad, you know, we used to talk about it a lot, uh, just recruiting. And, you know, he started talking, you know, just how good guys have done in Texas and the more, not just Coach Haskins, but, you know, uh, a lot of guys that have coached in the state. You know, he had Bob Wellick, uh coach at uh, University of Texas, and, you know, he just gained a bigger respect for those guys. You know, you respect them as coaches, but then he really saw it for himself. You know, like you're talking about, it's not easy. Uh, recruiting in the state and those schools hate to hear it though you know we got hammered when i first took the job there because i did an article just talking about how hard it was to recruit because a lot of people didn't know where lubbock was i'd call kids out in california trying to recruit them and and you know those schools don't want to hear that but it is it's hard to recruit uh if you're not the state school Pat Knight with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Now, you came on board with your dad in 01. Then you took over the program in 2008 from him, and you were with the, uh, you know Tech till 2011. In the 10 years that you were in Lubbock, um, and, and you had some good teams over those years. You had NCAA tournament teams, um, but you're right. It, Texas is football country, and it's not basketball country. And now you look 10 years later at what Chris Beard has been able to do uh, at Tech, and, and it's nothing short of amazing. No, I mean, it's, and it's not just, you know, Chris has done a great job. The guy that really got, you know, I think got screwed was Rick Barnes. I mean, look at the job he did at Texas. And, you know, they let him go, and he's just doing a good job at Tennessee. And it's just, you know, even a, you know, guy, a guy we would bring up that used to meet us when we'd go to Texas A&M, Shelby Metcalf, all the good teams he had. And then Gerald Myers having the good teams at Tech. It just gave you a, a better perspective of all these guys uh, coaching in the state. You know, it is tough coaching basketball uh, in that state. And, and, you know, those coaches can't say it because they're there now. But trust me, you know, I've had many conversations with coaches in the state. It's just hard because all the resources uh, go to football, even high school. I remember going to see the number one and two team in the state, and there's only like a couple hundred people at the game. And, you know, if I was in Indiana, there would have been, you know, Standing room only five thousand to eight thousand, whatever the uh, gym would have uh, sat. So yeah, you see these guys, you know what Chris has been able to do, and and uh, uh, it's just amazing. And I know it, you know, and I'm not saying because I'm friends with the guys. I, I, I was part of it. It is it is hard uh, to uh, to recruit, and that's why I think any of these guys, you know, Jamie Dix has done a great job getting TCU going in the right direction. And, and I think those guys deserve more for, uh, praise than what they get just because I know how hard it is from a recruiting standpoint. Did your dad enjoy uh, coaching Tech uh, as much, knowing that uh, it was tougher to get players, but maybe he wasn't under the pressure cooker in Lubbock nearly as much as he was uh, out there in Bloomington? He enjoyed it the, uh, a lot the first few years because, like you said, not under the pressure cooker, but then the recruiting started to wear on him. You know, not being able to get the guys you're used to getting, and um, and I thought we did a good job going the junior college route to make up for it. But I still think it, it ate at them. You know, just seeing kids go to different schools. Where in Indiana, you were the top choice of those kids. You know, and when we were at Tech, you know, shoot, if, if Texas offered them, they're going to get them for, uh, uh, first. And then it was just tough from a, a home visit. You know, people don't talk about these unofficial visits, but we couldn't get anybody to take an unofficial visit because the core of the kids are recruiting are in Houston and Dallas. And, shoot, those kids, they're taking, you know, three or four unofficial visits to A&M, Baylor, Texas, you know, TCU, because they're all right there. And that was another problem, you know. And we couldn't talk about it because we got 
administration would get mad at you and stuff and, and boosters and the fans. Um, but it was tough. And, and uh, so it really, I think if he would have, he had a chance uh, to uh, kind of go to Ohio State. Tennessee was the other one. And I think if he would have, if my dad would have left and taken one of those jobs, which was a big state school job, it probably would have added two or three years on his career because I just think the recruiting just really burned him out. You know, you're, you're sitting there fight, fighting your ass off and, and you're not being able to get the, the kids that, you know, you want from a, a standpoint of, you know, uh, better kids in the state. What would the transfer portal do to him now if he was having a coach? Uh, just put him in the height of his coaching career now uh, with players uh, that are going into the portal left and right. Uh, he, he will make it. He would make it a day nowadays. You know, we, we, my dad and I joke about it just because, you know, kids transfer, kids got their hands out. I mean, you know, you know the cheating that's going on. I mean, it's just gotten so out of hand and, and – we talk now, and we kind of joke. He asked me, you know, how long do I think he'd last? And I said, a day. I couldn't even last a week. And I was like, no, you might not even last a day. The way the games change with the recruiting and really all the bullshit that's going on. As far as your career right now uh, with the Pacers uh, as, a, as a scout uh, for them, how has the transition been all, after all the years uh, in coaching, uh, college, and uh, now you know, having spent the last five, six years working in the NBA? Um, it, it's, uh, it's easier. <laughs> you don't have to deal with uh, you know, boosters, uh, alumni, ADs, presidents, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff on the side and recruiting. Uh, and you're still involved in basketball, but you still miss the coaching standpoint. Working for me, working with kids, and I really enjoyed uh, teaching the motion offense uh, and just working with kids and seeing kids improve. And, and and so you miss that part of it, but a lot of the stuff you don't miss on the side because there's no patience. You know, you you, you have a couple bad years while you're trying to rebuild. They find somebody. There's no. Hey, give a guy three to five years to build his own program. It's, it's, it's a distant, costly society. They want instant success. And so from that standpoint, the NBA has been great. But you still miss, you know, coaches were all competitive. You still miss game night, you know, beating somebody. And uh, I miss uh, the planning and scouting of another team. And so I miss those parts. But the NBA, boy, you find out how hard it is to get these jobs. People think it's hard to – uh, get college jobs, coaching. Uh, the NBA is even harder. You know, you only got 30 teams, and so that's why a lot of people don't give up these scouting jobs. And you see a lot of scouts in their uh, 70s when they're when you're out on the road because these are such great jobs. And I'm fortunate enough to be with a really good organization, and they take care of you. So it's been it's been interesting the last six years. You know, it's been fun, but it's been totally different than the pressure you have when you're coaching. I think that's why we've been so impressed with Ryan because ever since he left the minors, he went right to the Pacers and he's been there ever since. Came back to work for Larry Bird and and still there after all these years. Yeah, it's funny. The NBA actually is more loyal than colleges. You know, colleges just use you up. You know, you get fired, you retire, you move on. You don't hear from those people ever. And it's kind of funny being in the NBA. It doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, as long as you still got the knowledge and help a team, you'll have a job. And it's kind of interesting. You see these guys last longer with these NBA teams. You see guys, I mean, Kevin Mackey, uh, the old Cleveland State coach, is one of our college sco- uh, scouts. And he's been with us, boy, it may be going on 20 years. And so it's kind of funny. You see the longevity a lot better in the NBA where you think it'd be the opposite. They have more loyalty to their people that actually work hard. And so that's been kind of an interesting thing. I think Ryan would tell you the same thing. You know, Ryan works hard and he's good at what he does. And so they're very really smart. They keep those guys around. Pat, before I wrap things up with you, um, do me a favor. Give our listeners out there your favorite Bobby Knight story. If you had to pick one over all the others that you tell people and could tell on the radio that's, that's uh, suitable for radio, if, can, you, can you share that one with us? Well, the best of that, he, he loves telling the Haskins. Uh, they were playing, uh, I think, because, you know, he always played home and home, even when we were at Indiana and Tech. And so 
Uh, my dad said he was down there, and uh, I'm not sure. I don't think I was playing. I don't think I ever played in El Paso. So I think it's before. I think it's even when I was like in high school playing. My dad. I mean, he tells this story every time I, I see him. We, we bring up Coach Haskins. And, uh, I guess the game was just being brutally refereed. And so, of course, my dad, my dad gets thrown out. And so my dad always like, well, you know, I, the visitor's bench is on the far end, so you have to walk by uh, El Paso's bench. He's like, so he's like, I, I get thrown out in the second half. You know, I'm pissed off, and I'm walking past, and all of a sudden, shit, there I see the bear. He's sitting right there on the bench, and as I walk by, I look at him, and Don looks right at me, and he's like, you lasted a lot longer than I would have. This uh, this game's been referee bullshit. This is bullshit what's been going on. He's like, you're getting soft. He's like, I've been thrown out in the first half. <laughs> As my dad walks by, uh, that's what Coach Haskins said to him. So my dad said he went from being pissed off to smirking walking off the court because of uh, Coach Haskins. And so he loves telling that story. He got thrown out. Haskins gets on him and tells him he would have gotten thrown out before. <laughs> it's good stuff, Pat. Hey, listen, we appreciate the time. Thanks for sharing it with us today. And if you get a chance, make sure in about uh, 40 minutes you get to tune in. You'll, you'll get a kick out of listening to those two together. It's a lot of fun. No, it's great. And, you know, and we, we actually sports enough actually at Tech before Coach passed. Uh, Dan Wetzel, a buddy of ours, a uh, sports writer, uh, was hanging out with Coach and actually drove him over to Lubbock. And we had a, our whole staff and – and Wetzel and, and uh, Coach Haskins and, and uh, actually Steve Green, the junior college coach, buddy of ours at South Plains, just like a whole bunch of us as coaches. And we, I'll never forget this. We all went to my dad's favorite place in Lubbock, Texas. It was actually a Chinese buffet. <laughs> so we all got to hang out with uh, Coach Haskins before he passed at the Chinese buffet in Lubbock. And it is, uh, I mean, he, he carried on. He and my dad told stories, I think, for five hours. And so that was one of my fondest memories before he passed. It, what, Dan Wetzel brought him over to Lubbock to spend an evening with us before uh, he passed away. That's awesome. That is awesome. I'm telling you. That, and that's what I hadn't heard before. But I do know that when it came to Chinese restaurants, yep, Coach Haskins and, and your dad loved them. And uh, there were ones in all, they, they used to do the same thing in El Paso. So it's good to see that that hasn't changed over the years. No, not this change. Those two guys were two peas in a pod. They were perfect. And, and the great thing was, you know, there weren't too many guys that could tell my dad what to do, you know, from a good standpoint and get on his ass and be like, hey, you know, you kind of need to do this. And that's what those two guys were great for with each other. They could actually tell each other stuff they really didn't want to hear uh, that, you know, other people couldn't do. And I just, you know, shoot, we were in tech. It was great. I bet I talked to him. Once a week, you know, if my dad wasn't in, in the office, they'd send uh, the phone call to me. And there's always, you know, suggestions about, you know, an upcoming opponent, uh, um, if we should play zone or man. And, and uh, it was kind of interesting. I got really close to him when, uh, even more so when we got to tech, because I'd take the phone calls when uh, my dad was uh, out of the office. So that's why I enjoy, I had no problem doing this interview with you guys, because people understand Coach Haskins is one of the, not just greatest coaches around, but he's one of the greatest human beings. No doubt. Hey, give our best to your dad, Pat. We appreciate the time. And again, thanks for, uh, thanks for talking to us on the show today. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Pat Knight, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Charlie One's back with a traffic update, then your phone calls and tweets as we continue right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. 600 ESPN El Paso. Appreciate Pat Knight on the program as we continue here on Sports Talk. Um, it's fun listening to Pat reminisce about his dad and, and Coach Haskins and tell the stories. Um, I can only imagine what it was like in that Chinese buffet for five hours listening to Bobby Knight and Don Haskins tell stories with each other and Dan Wetzel being a part of that. That had to be a lot of fun, I'm sure. And uh, you'll get to relive the Don Haskins hour coming up in just about 35 minutes uh, from now when we uh, get that going here on the program. 880-5763, that's our telephone number as we take you up till uh, the top of the hour and the Don Haskins hour. Just a reminder, uh, a couple things. Uh, number one, our online voting for the 
600 ESPN El Paso, top 64 Texas Western UTEP bracket begins at 9 a.m. tomorrow on Twitter. 9 a.m. tomorrow on Twitter. We're going to post all four 8-9 matchups and all four 1 versus 16 matchups tomorrow. And the reason is is that the winner of the 8-9 will play the winner of the 1-16 in, uh, in each of the four regions. And that's how we've got it uh, divided out. So we'll throw the 8-9s tomorrow and then the 1-16s. We'll get it going at 9 a.m. And we have about, what, a, a good 24 Four hours for each voting, correct? Yes, that's right. And so people can vote online primarily on Twitter, but they can also send us votes via the 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app. And then we'll have a system where if people just want to call and give us their picks for the day, we can do it over the phone as well. Love it. All right. I think that's uh, I think that's amazing. So um, if you get the opportunity, folks, uh, definitely want to take part in this because the 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 selections were fun, but the voting is going to be more, even more interesting. And you know, you're thinking like, I'll give you for an example. Um, take this matchup, okay? And this is in the Bear region. Tim Hardaway against Willie Brown. That's or actually not Willie Brown anymore. Now it's Hardaway against um, oh John Bohannon. Okay, that's the one sixteen. But then you've got Eddie Rivera against Nolan Richardson. That is a tough, tough matchup because Nolan had some great years at UTEP. And we all know, um, you know, he has, when, when Coach Haskins got a hold of him, his numbers weren't as good as they were pre Haskins. But, and then you look at Eddie Rivera and what he was able to do with that 91 92 team. And that's a tough, that's a tough matchup. The 8 9s are going to be difficult. So Prince Stewart against Dick Gibbs is a tough matchup. Um, Mike Richmond against Ralph Davis. Jason Williams against Dave Feidel. Now, when you go to the article at 600ESPNElPaso.com, Adrian breaks down every player. So you can essentially use the tools in uh, casting your votes. That's the idea. We want you to, if anything, you know, you, you know the names, but you might not know the production behind all the names, especially the older names. So Adrian, if anything, fans will have the opportunity to, um, you know, fine tune themselves a little bit with each player and what they contributed before they cast their vote. Or they might just vote blind, not not care or look, and that'll make things even more interesting. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of cool factors into this. I think another big thing that we haven't really factored into it is just likability. I mean, just uh, simple fans just saying, "Hey, I've I've this was this player was my ride or die, and I grew up watching this guy." Or, "Hey, I watched him when I was in college, and I thought he was the best player on the floor, and he was my most favorite to watch." So we might have a lot of likability votes when it comes to this as well, which I'm very excited. For. I think that's true, too, because sometimes players that were likable, no matter where they're seated, are going to do well. You're right about that, because we've got a lot of likable players in the bottom four, five, or six uh, seeds in the bra- in the rack- in the uh, brackets. You know that? So that'll make things really interesting. All right. Again, if you want to get in, we'd love to hear from you. 880-5763. That is our telephone number. More in a moment. But first, let's go to Adrian and get a bottom of the hour sports center up. 600 ESPN El Paso. Eight eight zero five seven six three. That is our telephone number. Players will not be getting a year of eligibility back from the winter sports season, but they will from the spring sports season. That was something that the NCAA decided on today. So no matter what happened with the uh, basketball tournament being canceled, uh, it will not result in any basketball players gaining an extra year of eligibility since the rumor was could have possibly been the, the, the seniors, but the NCAA decided no on uh, winter sports. Sports, but yes, on spring sports, if uh, they would like to appeal. So that is uh, good news for those uh, spring sports athletes out there that didn't want to see their senior year go away or lose a year of eligibility no matter what, since it just got started. Um, again, uh, the topics we are hitting on right now, the 
64 greatest UTEP Texas Western players, as well as the departure of Dion Stroud. Now, uh, Adrian and I have looked at the Stroud uh, departure a little different. Now, Adrian um, has said that you know potentially he could have become one of the faces, if not the face of the program, between now and his senior year. And it's definitely possible, but Adrian, the hard part I have with, with that kind of analysis is if you're a freshman, and you're averaging, you know, 10 to 15 points per game as a freshman, and you're playing on a loaded team, and you leave, I could absolutely see it. But when you're getting, like, limited minutes, and you're, you're not able to, to really develop a reliable outside shot, at least as a freshman, and you're scoring a, a couple of points per game, to me, it's hard to look at somebody like that as potentially a face of the program. But, hey, I know a lot of people, including Daryl Edwards, loved Deion Stroud and thought he had tons of potential. Yeah, and not just Daryl Edwards. It was also Jordan Lathan, Nigel Hawkins, even Sule Boom considered Dion Stroud one of the best up-and-coming players. And Rodney Terry had said it multiple times on his radio show how valuable he believed Dion Stroud would be to the team. And you also look at the roots where Dion Stroud came from. Coming from Fresno, California, a guy that Rodney Terry had had on his radar and this whole coaching staff has had on their radar for a long time. Coming out of high school, he was the highest-graded prospect of any of these players for UTEP. And yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you know, he plays sparingly, plays in 24 games, really plays only meaningful minutes in about 11 of those games and kind of is this fun piece to watch on the floor for fans and media members. But on the flip side, when you see what Dion Stroud brought to the table, you saw a guy with tremendous offensive potential and a bit of a defensive decline. He needed to work on his defensive skills. And in conference yes. play, you saw him kind of bring everything back to form so I it's it's a big what could have been and, and I think that that's the big thing right now to note is hey what could have been with Deion Stroud and UTEP down the line well let's put it this way if you don't play good enough defense, you're not breaking into the rotation much if you're Rodney Terry. Part of the reason why Caden Archie saw so much time over the last four or five games was because of his defense. His defense was so good, Archie kept him, you know, was 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 able to stay in the game because um, Rodney Terry needed that. He needed a guard that could that could play uh, that could play good defense. So, you know, the funny thing is, is that some fans would clamor for offense, but the truth is, is that if you didn't play defense, you weren't going to find any minutes on the team. Yeah, and that's true, and that might be, you know, priorities may shift between coaching staff and the players that they decide to recruit. I mean, hey, this coaching staff has been transparent on the guys they're trying to recruit, and that is defensive-minded guys who will play defense for anybody and will adhere to, you know, their roles that they're being given on this team. And I'll tell you this, I don't think Deion Stroud would have had a strict rule uh, role going into the next season. I think his role probably would have been an off-the-bench guard, maybe backing yep. up a guy like Sule Boom, or, or Keontae Kennedy, and that's the bottom line. And I don't think that he probably was comfortable with that. He probably wanted to move on and find somewhere that would have him starting. And to be honest with you, Steve, it's going to be hard for a freshman, a guy who's a six foot five guy who's going into a very crowded transfer portal to make the case why he should be a starter elsewhere. No doubt about it. But, um, and Lute Minder brings up a really good point about this, or actually he's now known as a Snokomotive uh, Miner. I needed to make sure. He's always Luke, uh, Lutep, now he's Smokomotive Miner. Uh, he mentioned that, you know, Dion's per 40 numbers were pretty impressive, and they were 18 points uh, per 40 minutes uh, with a 43.5% shooting percentage um, is good. 60 percent from the line and uh, somebody who grabbed about four rebounds um, when given the opportunity to so yeah per 40 was much better than his 4.3 in limited 9.5 minutes so I would agree with uh, Snokomotive that he made the most of his opportunities but the fact is is that if one of the reasons Deion Stroud left is because he knows that you know he's got uh, Keontae Kennedy and also, um, Sule Boom, ahead of him on the depth chart, you know, the easy way to do it is just to leave if you feel like uh, you're going to have to really try to work yourself into playing time and playing minutes. That's, that's one thing we've noticed from the transfer portal all around college basketball. It's that players would rather leave than put in the work to try and get themselves more minutes their second year or third year, whatever it is. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think that, the, you know, players right now, it's such a bad position where college 
college basketball is in where there's outside influence towards some of these players. And you, if in the back of your head, if you're a UTEP fan, you would have just hoped that Deion Stroud would have stuck it out and been happy with being a sixth man or, or whatever off the bench for this team next year and maybe try to work his way onto the team. And I'll just give one more example on the opportunities he was given this year. I mean, against Florida International this past January, uh, Deion Stroud was put in about 11 minutes off the bench, had 10 points, and didn't come back into the game in the second half, and you're scratching your head, why? Why is he not being played a little bit more? And so the opportunities go back and forth. I, I believe that Deion Stroud was given the opportunities in the late part of Conference USA, but we really didn't get to see the full caliber of an athlete of what he could have been with this UTEP basketball team. I hear you. Regarding our Pat Knight interview, El Guapo uh, with the tweet, nice to hear a coach talking about hearing them ramble off without a, with a bunch of coach speak. Uh, let, me, let me repeat that tweet because I, I think I butchered that from El Guapo. Nice to hear a coach talking without hearing them ramble off without a bunch of coach speak. Yeah, Pat, Pat and I was very good about that. Uh, J.D. Aziz tweeted, the, St- the uh, Sam Smith interview was uh, a great get, considering El Paso is a small market. You always box above your weight class. Well, thank you for that one, J.D. We appreciate that as well. Happy you enjoyed it. And uh, the guests uh, are going to be great uh, all week, by the way. We've got uh, a loaded show with a lot of really good things lined up for you. Again, you want to weigh in on Twitter, we'd love to hear from you. Eric, the number four in the eight, tweeted Stroud was never known as a defensive specialist and Rodney Terry knew that when he recruited him coming out of high school so but if there's one thing we have known and this is something that Rodney Terry made a big point of you're gonna have to guard to get minutes so it is kind of interesting that if you recruit high school talent that are offensive players but they're not good defensively and they don't improve defensively what it means is even if they have a high offensive ceiling Adrian you just might not see enough minutes on the floor and I really think that with Deion in Deion Stroud's case he didn't start getting minutes until Nigel Hawkins injured himself over the last five six seven games that's really when his minutes started to peak yeah, and, and Rodney Terry gave him credit toward the end of the season, saying that Stroud had improved as, as a defensive player. But, I mean, even going back to the offense, if you're calling Deion Stroud more of an offensive guy, I mean, it, it's just a tough offense for him to exist in because UTEP goes on a little bit slower pace. They shoot a lot of threes, which he didn't have a great three-point shooting percentage, and he's a little bit more of a fast guy. So in transition, Deion Stroud was kind of all over the place at times, even though he was a fast place pay uh, player, but at the same time, he just couldn't find his spacing on the floor when it came to offensive sets, in my opinion. Hey, everybody, this is Sal from Sports Talk, and you've been listening to the Sports Talk podcast from 600 ESPN El Paso. Tune in on weekdays from 4 to 7 to catch the show live and also keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 600 ESPN El Paso. And visit the 600 ESPN El Paso.com website for the latest in sports with blogs, pictures, videos, contests, and more. 600 ESPN El Paso.